0: Morning, everyone. <clears throat> Wonder if um, things in the news this week have caused you to ask any questions. Um, should I read or watch Fifty Shades of Grey? Should we forgive and forget events like the bombing of Dresden? Should men and women convicted of abuses against children be locked up forever with no prospect of release? Why are Christians always talking about Jesus and forgiveness yet fighting with other religions all around the world? Well, as we look at the passage today, we might not find these precise situations mentioned in so many words. But I believe our passage today, Jesus answers those questions. And we've been looking over the last few weeks at how we can more closely follow Jesus And we've been guided by his words written down in Luke's Gospel. And we've looked at, amongst other titles, the joy of following, the cost of following. And now we come to look at following Jesus alongside other people. And, well, following Jesus is one thing. Following Jesus alongside other people, well, perhaps that's something entirely different. Maybe having others alongside you spurs you on and encourages you and inspires you and even sustains you. Well, it should, and it does. And I think we're very good at that. But it doesn't always work just like that. And this morning we'll look at some pretty tough things that Jesus tells his followers, and it relates to how we Follow Jesus alongside other people who are also trying to follow Jesus. So let's look at our reading here from Luke 17. I think that's on page 1051. Luke 17 and beginning at verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith he replied if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mulberry tree be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field come along now and sit down to eat Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So, you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. There is a lot in here, and like many passages in Luke, there's a richness that encourages us to look deeply. However, there's also a simple truthfulness that cannot be escaped and must be acted upon if we're to count ourselves as disciples, followers of Jesus. A lot of this does relate to sin, though. So I think it's worth looking at the question very briefly, what is sin? What is sin? I think sin readily splits into two different types. The first being things that we should do that we do not or cannot. A bit like missing a target. So, for example, the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. If we don't do it, it's a sin, but it's really hard to do and we find that we, we can't or we don't. That's called a sin of omission. And then there are others, things that we should not do, but then we actually end up doing Um, And these are sins of commission, so um, the command to do not covet, and, and then we go and do it. So there are two types, really. The third thing about sin, I think, that's important to realize is that the Bible says we have all sinned. That's me, that's you, that's everyone in the world. We have all sinned, and the penalty for that is death, eternity without God. So when we think about sin, it's pretty serious. In fact, it's about as serious as it can get, really. So what of this passage then, and these things here that Jesus says, that I think are actually, they're not difficult to understand, But they're pretty difficult to do. The first one, watch yourselves. Make sure you are not the cause of sin in others. But Jesus knows that there will be things that cause people to sin. So by implication then, Jesus knows people will sin. He knows that you and I are going to sin. It's no surprise to him. He's saying this to his disciples, his followers. He knows they're going to sin. And our sin does not make God look on us differently than before we sinned. And I think that's really important to realize because if we don't realize that, we might think that the more we sin, the less God loves us. Or the more we disappoint God, or can we? Or the more we disappoint him, even for Christians, then, or the more we sin, the more we disappoint God. Well, that's, that's not the case. And for Christians who've accepted that forgiveness and now put their trust in him, we may even think that we can't serve or worship because of our sin. But Christ knows our sin, and he knows we will sin again. It is going to happen. So, there will be sin among the followers of Jesus. He says so himself. However, here, the statement is very clear. Don't be the cause of it. Woe to those who, through whom that sin comes. Is there a difference, then, between causing sin and actually sinning well it would seem so here perhaps being a cause of sin implies a planned or premeditated action that causes others to sin so for example during the time of christ and under the law the sabbath was strictly kept and there were very very strict rules um which fortunately we don't uh, have to worry about now, but one was about walking on the Sabbath. And you couldn't walk too far. So if a Roman soldier came up to you when you'd just timed it to perfection and finished your walk and thought, right, I've done what I need to do today, and said, you, carry my stuff for a mile. You're obligated to do it. But you've now sinned. How does that work today? Well, we may choose not to support business, which is unethical in the way it treats people or the environment, as our contribution might cause or enable those injustices to continue. We might ensure that we're careful when we know someone is addicted or susceptible to alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling, anger, that we don't trigger something that causes them to sin. There does seem to be an implication here as well of little ones that our children and young people are to be particularly looked after in this respect. We have a responsibility to protect to educate and model behavior that will not cause these little ones to sin. And we might like to think of that as in the present, looking at a now situation, or perhaps take a longer term view and consider the future as well. One last point here. We might be tempted in a global society to think that this sort of action is really the responsibility of nations and governments and businesses and other big groups. But Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers, as individuals. So our individual actions should not be the cause of others' sin. And that is described as an action. And the implication here in verse 3 is that if we do nothing or disregard this, then we will cause others to sin. Jesus says, watch yourselves. And then we move on to this second part. Forgiveness. Well, be forgiving of one another, this seems to say, over and over and over again. Jesus goes on to describe what to do when the sin happens. He's not saying this is how you avoid it, this is how you make sure it doesn't happen which I think we can get into sometimes. He's saying, it's going to happen. This is what you do. So be ready. Be ready for it. Do other people disappoint you because they sin? Does it surprise you if you hear about church leaders, for instance, committing sin? Are you shocked if you see Christians behaving in a way that you think, that's, that's sinful, how can they be Christians? God isn't disappointed, God isn't shocked, he's not surprised, he knows. So here is what to do when it does happen. You forgive, over and over and over again. Just as you've been forgiven. Perhaps you find there are sins that return to you again and again, or you find yourself struggling with something that gets you to sin, and you promise God, oh, I repent, I'm sorry, I'm never going to do that again. And then you do, or something similar, or maybe not quite as bad, or maybe even worse. Well, you rid yourself of one sin only to find there's now another one in its place. One thing our sin does do is point us and bring us to Christ. We know he will forgive. Not only that, he'll forgive us for the same thing committed on the same day. Up to seven times? That, that, that doesn't even come across as the seven is like, oh, oh no, I've done it eight, I'm a complete failure, does it? This reads as kind of just keep forgiving. If they keep repenting, keep forgiving. So we do, don't we? We come to Christ. That's exactly what we do. We we say, We've done it again, we've sinned again. We come to Christ. So do people know us as forgiving? Do people know us as people who are gracious and who just give out undeserved favor? And we're generous when someone deserves nothing or maybe even a punishment. Well, that's what we get from Christ. So then, as his disciples and followers, this is what we seek to pass on to our brothers and sisters in Christ. When, not if. They sin and seek forgiveness. Uh, One thing I think as well we learn here, and it's taken me a while to, to grasp this perhaps as a parent, and in teaching my children, saying sorry really does not mean it won't happen again. And I think there are a few things that we quote and we get into, like forgive and forget, and sorry means you won't do it again. These aren't necessarily right. This is not what Jesus is saying. And being really sorry for something you've done or something that's been done against you, it doesn't mean it won't happen again. Even taking a punishment for that action doesn't mean it won't happen again. Those who suffer physical abuse, sexual abuse, Those who are emotionally abused or subjected to repeated atrocities, they know that only too well. People do things to them, tell them they're sorry and that they love them, and then it happens all over again. The sin or person is not necessarily in our power to control. What we can guarantee, though, is that if it does happen again, we can forgive again in Christ. That is in our power to do. And that is how Christ sets us free. No wonder the apostles (laughs) exclaim increase our faith. Because not only is this an incredibly hard, almost impossible thing to do, it's hard to believe that it is the thing to do. But Jesus says it. Fortunately, he does point out not much faith is needed. And the picture here points to just the smallest amount of faith. Because you probably realise from reading the Gospels or from being with other Christians that the whole point of Christianity is not making all the mulberry trees go into the sea. The picture is to get us to see that just the tiniest bit of faith can do something great and unexpected and miraculous. As Peter's already um, led us to look at these miraculous things, we would say, oh, isn't it miraculous Someone just said to that mulberry tree, go and uproot yourself and go in the sea. We'd be amazed. What if we said, this person here has been abused all their life and they were able to say to this person who did it to them, I forgive you when they ask for forgiveness. Which is the bigger miracle. Lastly, Follow as a servants. We are servants. You are servants. Take on a servant attitude. Hold on a minute. Did we really sign up for that? Servant, duty, responsibility, work. Not things we generally get too excited about, I would suggest. And we generally take these on or accept them because either of some benefit that we get or there's a consequence um, that we might not wish to happen. If we could have the benefit or avoid the consequence without doing all the servanthood stuff, the duty and the responsibility and work, maybe we would opt for that. But not always. Occasionally, we may feel so strongly about something that we're actually happy to give our lives. At the moment, we are in a kind of four-year period of marking a 100 years of different events that happened during the First World War. And many signed up for that cause, not because they had to. Some did have to, I accept, but many didn't. But they signed up because they loved their country, they loved their fellow citizens and their families. And they wanted to fight for them. They wanted to give their life for the cause. And that led them to serve dutifully and ultimately, for many of them, it cost them their lives. Parents know that there are many duties in raising children. Sometimes you might feel like a servant just doing that. Why do you do it though? Well, maybe it is that unconditional love that you have for your child that means you carry out those duties. Maybe sometimes we're grateful to people. Maybe someone's done something for you or they've given you something. And even though you might not like a particular job or work or responsibility, because it's for them, you actually take great joy in doing it because they deserve it. It's a privilege to serve them. And I think that's how our duty to God can be seen. We have responsibilities before God. We are to serve him in all we do. However, we are grateful for what he's given us and what he promises. Certainly at times you might feel that doing our duty for benefits um, may lead us to question our motivation. And become a bit demotivated. But a quick look again at the promises of God. Will show us that we do not do our duty for benefits. We have those already. We're inspired. And motivated. By our love. For a gracious God. And we look to the example of Christ. Jesus Christ who fulfilled his duty out of a tremendous love, giving his life to the people around him while he lived. It was a selflessly lived life. And ultimately giving it up by dying on the cross so that we could have forgiveness of that sin that he knows we will do. So as we follow Christ with others, this is to be our attitude that of a servant. In conclusion, I'd like us to look again at what Christ has done and let that cause us to respond to these three ways in which we can follow Christ alongside others. I'd like to pass round now um, a letter. Um, I'll, uh, hopefully, someone can run up and give some people in the balcony so i 'm just doing a quick count Does everybody have a letter? Anyone without a letter okay. bit of um, bit of role play in a way, but i 'd like you to imagine you were sat waiting on death row, convicted of murder now there isn 't really probably any more serious sins we might. Look at and the world might look at and say, This is the worst one. So you're sat on death row, convicted of murder, and this letter is passed to you. And it's from the father of the man you murdered. Okay, have a read. God created a world. God gave us life. We sinned against him over and over and over again. He sent Jesus Christ to wipe out that sin. And Christ now offers us forgiveness over and over and over again. He offers us life as he originally intended, eternally with him. So the question is, how will you respond to that? Will you accept his forgiveness? Will you serve him dutifully, out of love? Will you model this forgiveness to others, demonstrating his grace over and over again just have a look around you all these people or many of them many of us here we've received the forgiveness of Christ we've received that together we're in the same position we all mess up and yet Christ has come to each one of us and said I forgive you How can we not forgive each other? In a sense, this letter is an invitation to belong. We've been thinking about belonging during these next few weeks. The letter is an invitation to belong, to respond by joining with Christ. I wonder if we can just take a few moments of quiet, and then I'm going to... um, ask you to um, perhaps come and put your envelope in the bin and pick up a card as a response that might um, then jog your memory. Uh, But let's just take a, a few moments of quiet. If you feel that God has really spoken to you this morning and you'd like to do something so that you remember to take something away and act then I'd like you to invite you at some point and you might like to do that now or you might like to do that And um, we've got a couple of songs coming up um, so there's a bit more time and space if you want to make a considered response and just throw away your letter or envelope or both and pick up a little card here that's got a little um, memory jogger text from Micah about just the amazing way that God deals with our sin.